McNulty stunning for to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Pompey fans, and what's PO4 Forecast episode 155? Well, this squad keeps getting better and better, but is it good enough for the Blues to have a top six finish? Doing the podcast today, Andy Mitchmore. How are you, Andy? Hello, buddy. Nice to be back. How are you doing, bud? I'm very good, mate. You are finally back from trekking around the Australian rainforest and out back. Terrified of frogs. Yeah, tiny little bone to pick with you. Where did this this frog fear come from? I'm not entirely sure. But thank you for telling however many people listen to the podcast about a completely fictional phobia. That's uh, appreciated. Well, I'm sure all five of them know the truth that you are terrified of frogs. So, you know, it's it's all right, Andy. You can tell people. We're a big PO forecast family here. You you don't have to be embarrassed about it, mate. But just hop along with that point of view. Freddie Webb, how are you, mate? Hi, I'm not so bad. I'm very happy that the gang's all back together for this episode. We had some fairly interesting games as well. Nice to be back back at Fratton Park for the first home game of the season. Absolutely loved it. Result was a bit meh, but who cares? I I enjoyed myself and it's nice to have Andy back as well. And thankfully, he wasn't attacked by poisonous animals while he was in Australia, so that's nice. Who cares about the result? That is the complete opposite of uh, of what football's meant well, to be. Well, I care about. about the result, but it's Freddie, not... I, you know. I'd rather have a dreadful day out if we get three points. I'd rather it absolutely hammer down with rain, staggeringly good is closed for refurb, and the roof of the Fratton end leaks. And if we get three points... It's- I'm a greedy man. I want both. I want an absolutely amazing day out and a good result. So, you know, it's what it is. But at the same time, boys, we had a great time at the brewery, met up there. Cheers to all the listeners and people we chatted to in the brewery. I actually went on and carried on drinking all day. So that part of my day was a little bit blurry, but we'll try and get into the details now of the football game in a second and, you know, try and bring back some of those memories that seem a little bit distant. But all right, let's get stuck into it. We've got quite a lot to say today. So first of all, we're going to review the game against Lincoln. Following on from that, we're going to review Pompey's win against Cardiff City. And then we put a question out to you guys and we said, is this squad with the addition of Tom Lowry and Owen Dale good enough to smash Freddie Webb's prediction of ninth and get a top six finish? And finally, we're going to speak to Owen Knight, who covers Cheltenham Town Football Club to give you the lowdown and everything you need to know about the game on Saturday versus Cheltenham. Right, let's get stuck in, boys. It's an action-packed episode. Lincoln City. I was hoping for a 3-0 win. Freddie was hoping for a 2-0 win. It didn't quite happen, did it? And Andy Mitchell, did you think that we lost the game? Sorry, we didn't secure the three points. We definitely didn't lose it because we couldn't quite pass the ball through the centre of midfield. I think there were a number of issues, to be honest with you, on Saturday. Again, I'm not going to be one of these people that lays into the team for a nil-nil draw. If you were one of the people that booed at the end, go and give your head a wobble, please. You are 
well within your rights to do what you want at a football game. Just give you a bit of a wobble because that is absolute madness. I was embarrassed to hear that as I walked out. Anyway, in terms of the game itself, I thought, yeah, started okay. First 15, I thought wasn't so bad. And then once that got blunted, I thought they just ran out of ideas a little bit. So I think Danny Cowley said it himself. He got They got a bit desperate with the long ball. I thought... It was interesting looking at the difference between the right and the left wings because I thought Hackett had a lot of the ball out on the right wing and at some points in the game did more with it than others, but sort of was an attacking midfielder on the right. Whereas I felt like Jacobs got pushed a bit more centrally and a bit congested. That meant Ogilvy had to do the majority of the work on the left. So it was a bit sort of asymmetrical in the way that Pompey were going forward, which it didn't look as coherent and organised as it has done occasionally or more of the time in the past. As you say, yeah, we've, we struggled to break down in centre midfield, really. It was just a bit, you know, Lincoln came with a game plan and executed it, essentially, and we just got blunted, got a bit more desperate as the game progressed. And rather than trusting the process of what the Cowleys have trained into them or trained into the, the players who were here last season, it got a little bit one-dimensional, a little bit long-ball-y, a little bit more direct, and I didn't think it really suited the players we had on the pitch. By the way, Pack, what a long throw he's got, by the way. Did not realise that when we signed him. Cheeky little Rory Delap. He has got a good long throw, although Freddie Webb was getting rather frustrated sitting next or standing next to me with overutilization of the long throw. Freddie, do you feel that we were getting a bit one-dimensional of that long throw after a while? Oh, absolutely. And I think, they, like Andy said, we got a bit one direction with a long ball as well. It was mentioned in the last episode that Lincoln deal very well with aerial balls into the box, making those sorts of clearances. And I thought they played, probably played into their hands a fair bit. The long throw is good to start with because it shows the opposition you've got another option. They don't know how to defend it initially. But after the fourth or fifth time, it was fairly obvious who to mark up, etc. So that was a tiny bit frustrating. And yeah, it seemed like Pompey didn't have a lot of joy in the wide areas. It was quite obvious whether the squad needed strengthening. I think I'd seen it in games last season. Hackett on the right-hand side. He obviously wants to shift it onto his left foot, stronger foot to put the cross in, which is fine. But by the time he's done that, there was already two, two defenders marking him, which meant he either had to pass the ball back to retain possession or instead of losing it, it got a bit slow down those wide areas as well, which is also a tiny bit frustrating. It was quite obvious that we, we only had nine deep completed crosses and passes around the penalty area, which in, in reality is not that much for a side that's had the majority of the possession most of the game. Yeah, frustrating. Like Andy said, Lincoln City came with a game plan. They played for the 0-0 draw and got it. And yeah, it's it's quite a bad result. Not, not disastrous, but I could see what the team were trying to do at least, which is one positive takeaway anyway. I think before the season started... In my head, we probably would end up having three points from the first two games. To be honest with you, after what happened on the last day of the season, I didn't really think we'd get anything from Sheffield Wednesday away. And then I thought we'd get the three points from the Lincoln game. So two points from two games is only slightly lower than what I would have predicted. And again, just to sort of revisit the earlier point, I mean, to go from that supposed high of how everyone was feeling before the Lincoln game, based off Sheffield Wednesday and the transfer activity, for one slightly blunted 90-minute performance to lead some people booing at the final whistle. It's just absolute insanity to me. Yeah, no, absolutely. I don't think no one's pushing a panic button. I think it's just a micro-analysis of how Lincoln matched up against us. And I think they did very well. We spoke about 
how, and I mean, when we were speaking last week, it's the guys from Stacey West, we're talking about how in the centre of midfield, obviously they'd lost some pretty decent players. And you look at who they had anchoring the midfield and they had Lassie Sorensen, who was targeted as someone who's quite, actually quite lightweight in the tackle. He won five out of seven of his duels in the centre of midfield. Lincoln won more of them as well, 65 compared to 50 of Portsmouth. And you can see that they were really just winning those sort of battles in the middle. Obviously, the two wingers, the two wide forwards tucked in quite well, which sort of made them having a five in midfield, was sort of overcrowded it. And I feel that because of that, Pompey then tried to sort of loft the ball over that press because Lincoln pressed very well as a unit. And Pompey didn't really do well passing the ball out from the back in that sense. So it was a little bit playing into their hands, really, because when we had to go long, you you had the defenders who are pretty decent in the air, sort of marking Piggott and Bishop. And Sorensen just dropped in a little bit when Piggott sort of tried to get into the 10 position to stop them passing out. Look, it's one of those games. Teams will come to Pompey and try and park the bus a little bit. And that's really what happened a little bit when you saw Pompey line up. So it's definitely not time to panic, but it is fair to say in the middle of midfield that we were a bit overcrowded and not quite sure, the team of a lot of new players, how to sort of do a plan B. I think that's fair. Uh, In terms of of defensive and passing up from the back, you could see that there was a little bit more... I don't don't want to use the word panic because it's not that extreme. That would be hyperbole, but there was less composure I think passing out from the back I felt a bit sorry for Griffiths with a couple of the back passes he received he got shoved up a creek without a paddle a couple of times and we two, were two, two, two back passes from Ragged ended up for a corner yeah there were a couple that yeah. we were quite fortunate with well I can't remember who it was one of the Lincoln players played one of the my favourite and worst back passes I've ever seen at one point it was like you know in FIFA when you're facing your own goal and you accidentally hold down lob pass and sort of I don't even know what it was it was beautiful couldn't have done it again if he tried but I thought, yeah, Pompey at the back looked a little bit, a little bit nervous. Let's say keeping keeping the ball with composure and passing it back to the keeper. And as you say, uh, Hugh struggled to break things down in the centre midfield. I guess the the positive side of that would be centre midfield is probably where we have got the broadest range of options once everyone is fit. And obviously, you know, Lowry wasn't, well, he was announced at the gate, or he was wasn't announced, but he sort of came out. Was it half-time or before kickoff? One of them, he came out to, to see the crowd. Obviously, he wasn't playing. And obviously, Morel is injured as well. So, you know, once we've got that full-strength centre midfield, that is probably the place on the pitch where we've got the most diverse options and the ability to mix things up in games later on in the season where maybe this does happen again. I just think we were a little bit hamstrung by the, the availability side of things uh, in this game. Do you think there's enough drive in the centre midfield if Pack and Thompson play together because it was fairly solid it was solid enough but that was one of the debates going out of the game anyway look they're both good players but I think if you look at someone like Morel or Larry who pick the ball up and sort of drive it a bit more directly forward maybe that's a bit better match up with one of those two playing with with Pac or Thompson I think and as as Andy touched on already we're kind of spoiled for riches in the centre of midfield at the moment you've got Jay Mingi he came on and I thought he did that very well he actually picked the ball up and started dribbling it forward he sort of up the tempo a little bit, got the passing moving a bit quicker and sort of did a little bit of link up with Scarlett up front as well when he came on and we looked a little bit more of a direct threat and unfortunately we didn't quite convert that into goals, did we? Or Although just before half-time there was that one chance for Rico who who could have sort of got that shot on target, comes back out again and he just sort of snatches it. It's in that sort of awkward position. Does he try and go with his head? Does he try and... Does he wait for it to drop? I think he might have even had time to take a touch, to be honest, in that position. But 
you know, if he puts his foot through that and it goes in, no one's even microanalyzing it like this, are they? But yeah, I think that was the biggest chance. And then for Lincoln, let's talk about their chance where they thought they'd scored. Ball from the corner, goes in, flicked on, hits the side netting, ends up not being a goal. Let's be honest, Lincoln City overall didn't really create much. Their passing, uh, their crossing completion, sorry, Freddie, would be pleased to hear was 12%, according to Sofa Score, and I looked on him. So, they, <laughs> so what's, um, what's normative data on that? What would be an, ab- an average or a uh, good? It's like uh, the third. Okay, so, so, if a, so if a player is having 33% cross accuracy, that's usually good. If a team gets that, slightly better, because obviously there's more of them. Basically less than half of what you'd expect in a, in a decent game. But I mean, that, that chance from that corner, Hugh, that corner was from a back pass that went out for a corner from memory. That was one of the defensive mistakes. That, that just was one of Raggett's ones, I think. Yeah, the corner yes, just, it was a needless, it would have been a needless punishment had the ball gone in, which we all briefly thought it had, uh, much like the Lincoln fans did. I think only a couple more bits to take away from that Lincoln City game. I noticed the press in the in the game wasn't very good from Pompey. I think they struggled. They mainly pressed individually instead of a unit, which wasn't brilliant. Their overall press passes allowed per defensive action was 12.33, which is over what their average is. They didn't press well as a unit, unfortunately. They weren't aggressive enough there. And Rico Hackett's chances, both of them, the side foot that got blocked and then the volley both of which accounted for 0.49 expected goals in total, which is just under half of Pompey's expected goals for the entire game. So you could argue and say that was just a major chance. It's a bit of a shame. But yeah, those are the few little analytical bits to take out the game. I thought Ogilvy had a really good game defensively and going forward. He was one of the bright spots at left back, I think. And like Hugh said earlier, Mingi brought on massive drive when he came on. I really like that. And we also know that Piggott can take a free kick. I've seen the highlights of him taking free kicks before for Wimbledon. And it's nice. He was quite a long way out when he hit that free kick, but he still manages to bend it round and get it on target. Keeper gets down, makes a smart save. That's another chance, I suppose. I don't know what the XG for that was. But at the same time, that was one of those, another half chance really, wasn't it? And from that distance, you just want to hit the target, don't you? And hope hope the keeper knocks it in. Yeah, I think we briefly thought that was in, being right behind the line of the ball, but didn't quite realise how far out it was from the goal, I guess. It kind of had the feel of, I thought, a bit of a friendly until Curtis came on. I thought it lacked a bit of intensity, which, to be honest with you, is kind of understandable. First game at Fratton Park of the season. But I thought it felt a bit like a... Yeah, a bit of a... a bit, it was a bit too nice, I thought, until Curtis came on. And then he just came on and did Ronan Curtis things, and it felt a bit more like a competitive League One game. But I felt like it needed a bit of a kick up the arse from him just to get under the skin of some of the Lincoln players. It was nice that that um, tribute for Maximus happened on the 19th minute. That was very nice. The parents were there at the game, brought their 20-month-old baby Zachary to his first Pompey game, who now has a season ticket, which I thought was very cute. And yeah, I read about that, speech to the, spoke to the parents. And yeah, they were over the moon by the support they got from, from the Pompey fans, players and all the Lincoln City um, people as well. So we all did a great job on that. Good of the ref to stop the game. I was pleased that they did that. Yeah, definitely. All right, I think we've gone into as much detail as we can about the Lincoln game. Let's be honest, it wasn't the most action-packed game. So let's move on to Tuesday night, where there was a little bit more action. Cardiff City, Blues, there was quite a lot of fans there. Credit to all the fans that travelled for the League Cup game away at Cardiff. It sounded like the first half was a little bit slow, not too much going on. But the goals we've got, boys, I don't want to spend too much time analysing a League Cup game, but in the second half, Pompey really turned it around, didn't we? And Ronan Curtis really showed why... There are a lot of people who think maybe he's dead here and has to sort of move on or whatever. But when he's playing in this way, 
in a sort of more of a team constructive way, he actually can be a pretty useful player. So I think sometimes we talk about the goal for, for Joe Piggott when he, he cuts inside and it's, it's from a traditional Ronan Curtis position, isn't it? Where he sort of comes in, he's inside and, you know, nine times out of 10, I just expected him to hit that, even if it wasn't, the chance wasn't quite on or defenders in the way, but credit to, he rolls the ball across to Joe Piggott, who finishes it by rolling it into the, the bottom left-hand corner, sort of nicks the post nicely, goes in. But let's talk about the assist first, because that's pretty encouraging, isn't it? That Ronan played with his head up and, and found our, our new striker to get his first goal of the season. Absolutely. I think it was also just as encouraging the fact that he won the ball from the press as well on that side. So classic Ronan Curtis. It's set up, wasn't it? it? Wins the ball in the press, drives forward down the wing, puts it on his strong foot, puts it as a striker just outside the penalty area. I think the goal might have taken a slight, slight nick, but it doesn't matter. It was fairly reasonable finish from Piggott who played well the entire game he had that shot right in the first minute as well um, where the ball came to him and Jack Anik tipped it wide so he was bright all game and has been bright pretty much ever since he started so yeah both both players doing very well there I like the fact just as a general point the fact that Danny Kelly rotated this side a fair bit but still uh, after the first half where Cardiff had more possession so on Pompey were in the game you had, you had Minogue at centre-half, you had Mingi playing in centre-mid, you had Joe Rafferty playing on the opposite side, even though he's done that before for Preston, but still playing slightly out of position with Swanson at right-back as well. I don't think that side could have done that last season, Play, playing in such a way, rotated, going toe-to-go-toe against, albeit a rotated championship side, who, where many of their players I didn't think had that good of a game. That Jaden Philogene had a fair, sounded like he had a fairly active game where he's putting in loads of low crosses, but no Cardiff player got in the end of them, really. And yeah, all all very positive. All very positive. We'll have to see what we get in the second round, won't we? Tonight, the draw, isn't it? So uh, the podcast is immediately going to be out of date by the time anyone listens to it, which is always encouraging. Makes the editing all This, this is where we get the scum away and we just. I just, just haven't mentioned cry. it. Oh no, uh, if we get scum away, we'll do an emergency final part to add on to the end thread tomorrow. Don't don't sweat it. I think the interesting thing for me with that Curtis assist is we talk a lot about him playing, you know, do you do you play him on the left where he's kind of in a bit of a mould of he plays on the left and then more often than not will cut inside onto his right foot? Or do you play him on the right where he has done a bit of damage before as well and potentially opens up his game a little bit, but takes away that cutting inside and having a crack option? which could be a good or a bad thing, depending on how you look at it. But as I mentioned in the, in the Lincoln game, I felt we were more narrow on the left, or we would have been if Ogilvy hadn't been so good going forward. And I don't know if it was intentional or not that we were narrower in midfield on the left than we were on the right. But I feel like it would have been a more symmetrical game plan against Lincoln had we had Curtis on the left. And that's obviously, you know, not what Danny Cowley decided to go for in this instance. And, you lads know how you know how much I rate Michael Jacobs. I don't shut up about it to an annoying level. So I just found it interesting that with Curtis on the left, you're getting that more advanced play wider, far more than you are if you play Jacobs when you're yeah, you're going to be relying on the overlap from Ogilvy a bit more, who was outstanding in that role, it has to be said, against against Lincoln. So yeah, again, I guess it's it's options, isn't it? It's two completely different styles of play down the left depending on who you start, you're going to get two completely different kettles of fish with um, with the outcomes. I would just like to remind people that Conor Ogilvy was a PO forecast transfer special prediction. I've just 
put that there before we move on. Yeah, but Fred, if you list 20 players a year for five years, you're going to get some right, bud. If you count the players you listed, actually, Andy, it's 12. So fuck you. Oh, that would have involved listening to the episode while I was away, mate. So. <laughs> that was last season anyway, Andy. I don't even know how many of us. I just wanted to give you a dig anyway. I didn't count them either. But yeah, anyway, moving on, we'll talk about some more PO forecast targets that we've managed to get because Tom Lowry came in. He's a player we've been talking about for absolute donkey's years on the PO forecast, wanted. I don't think we needed another centre mid this season necessarily, looking at our squad depth, but bringing in someone with the class of Tom Lowry is pretty impressive. You know, they call him Mini Esther, but he's a player who picks the ball up, as we say, and really makes things happen. He's a playmaking player. Someone asked if he could play at 10. It's not really what his position. He likes to be a bit more involved, getting the ball a bit earlier and moving it. And from what I heard in this game, boys, he actually had a pretty good showing against a decent championship side. Yeah, we got in touch with the Railway Men, our good friends on the Railway Men podcast, to ask a couple of questions about him, just in terms of you know anything that maybe hasn't come up on the PO forecast over the last couple of years. Because as you say, it's someone that I think all three of us independently have, have wanted to see in a Pompey shirt for a couple of years. So in terms of what the crew fan podcast have got to say about him we should be very excited by this signing it's a player who's proven he's good enough for league one he was a key part of cruise promotion from league two and then finished top half the season after that there was uh, no indication where he was going so the fact he's ended up at pompey as some relief to crew fan he's not gone to any any of their local rivals uh, he's a very good technical midfielder very comfortable on the ball happy to take the ball and work with it in uncomfortable positions. So this is, I guess, what we were talking earlier about, someone to drive the ball forward in in midfield a little bit. Uh, Further up the field, simply put, he's a creator. At times in last season's horror show of a season at Crewe, he was perhaps their only creative player, ouch. He will, if given the chance, create chances for Pompey's forwards to score. Uh, The only area they really highlighted as a possible flaw, which isn't really his fault, is his height. But, you know, I saw people complaining about the same about Joe Morrell when he turned up and he's not been the worst signing in the world. So I wouldn't, um, I'm not too worried about that. Uh, He plays best in the middle. He can play a bit deeper, but he's better off when he's not asked to play too deep. In terms of style, on the deck, lots of touches, being involved in play. His size plus his football education at crew means if Pompey want to play hoofball and bypass the midfield, you'd have to ask why they would go out and sign a player like Tommy Lowry, which is what I think Danny Cowley might have been wondering in the 83rd minute against Lincoln as we were firing long balls over the top. The only, again, the only issue with with Lowry has been stuff with his agent, to be honest with you, at Crewe. They don't think his agent's going to be welcome at Gresty Road anytime soon. Lowry was initially frozen out of the first team at Crewe because he was refusing to sign a new deal on advice of his agent. As the season went along, he was suddenly back in the team, despite this being... Uh, despite there being no chances to his situation, this is probably because they were bottom of the table by about 15 points at this time. Apparently, yeah, the uh, the agent is fairly difficult. So good luck to the Cowleys with that one. But as a player, very little negative to say by the sounds of it. Yeah, I read up a tiny bit more, a good piece from Crew Analytics on Twitter. Just search Crew Analytics on Google or Twitter. You'll, they did a piece on Tom Lowry. In summary, technically gifted, composed on the ball. I think the biggest thing for me was they said he was press resistant. So whenever an opposition player presses him really well, he's got the technical ability to collect the ball deep in his own half, but then also turn. So he's facing the goal and then dribble past them. Not every central centre midfielder has that. He also averaged 0.15 expected assists per 90 last season, according to, according to Opta. And that was in the crew side that, well, many people know how how well they didn't do in that game, in that season, really. 
and he also averaged 14 ball carries per 90. So he's not only a technical, technically gifted player of his passer, he could also drive play as well, which I think is a big thing because Danny, that's one of Danny Cowley's favourite things to bang on about, players who drive play and go forward. And uh, Tom Lowry's certainly that. And they also think he's championship level, for what that's worth. Yeah. And we'll move on to another player that we highlighted who came into the squad to play against Cardiff as well. So Owen Dale comes in on loan from Blackpool. Another winger came from the crew side of it as well. I know he was there 2020, 2021. Players play of the season, fans play of the season. Uh, most of the awards went to him as well. In that sense, he's a player who can pick the ball up. He's a direct runner at winger. We spoke about him on the podcast with Gabe Sutton. If you want to go back and listen to that midfielders and strikers episode, the timestamp is one hour and seven minutes. So I won't go into it too much in that sense. But against Lincoln, when we're talking about Rico on the right-hand side, he sort of had his back to goal a little bit, gave the gave their left back a little bit of a, too much of an easy time, in my opinion, and needed to, to pick the ball up in a bit of a higher position and sort of run at people. And we hope that Owen Dale comes in as a player who can play on both sides as well, if needs be and also can provide a little bit more pace and direct running. Sounds like he, he gave that a good go in, this, in the first half in this game, and hopefully, boys, he could be an asset for us on that right-hand side. Uh, yeah, I definitely think so. I definitely think so. Like you said, I think he was missing a lot in, the, in that Lincoln game. We needed a, a right-winger who was more of a traditional mould, who would not be afraid to dribble at the full-back, try and skin them, try and create space, but also put in a decent cross. We've seen... Pompey do very well with creating chances from crosses over the last two game, two or three games, and that and bringing in Owen Dale continues with that mould. So yeah, excellent signing. Shame he wasn't given the chance of Blackpool, but hey, that's Pompey's game again at the end of the day, really. He also, as we said in the podcast, Fred picked up a bit of a niggle, picked up an injury at the start of his season um, at Blackpool. So it's one of those things that never really quite got going. And with the managerial change and Appleton coming in, it was it was quite an easy player to, to nick off him. So Blackpool love us, don't they? Give us players online. Give us, you know, let us sign strikers. Up the Blackpool, so I can say. Up the mighty pool. <laughs> we'll have that. All right, boys. Um, let's just finish talking about this game. Ronan Curtis, as well as getting an assist, also stepped up and blasted a penalty into the top corner. There was no messing around there, was there? No little two little stutters and fakes. He steps up, he smashes that one home, celebrates in front of the Pompey fans, goal and an assist. And we know with Ronan that he is literally one of those players who, if he goes on a run and scoring and confidence is high, he's it's an asset for him, but it's also an asset for the team, as you were talking about earlier on, Andy, with the way he drives forwards. So pretty happy for that. And then just to round it off, we scored a goal from a corner. That's it. Colby Bishop steps off the back post. What a header that was, by the way, across the keeper, into the corner. I think Rob, who's been on the podcast with us here for Pompey News now, was saying that we didn't score a headed goal until nearly Christmas or something mad last season. I think it was after Christmas. It was Ogilvy, wasn't it? Was it was Ogilvy from a corner. I swear it was after yeah. Christmas, yeah. It's mad, isn't it? It was a hell of a header, that, the Techers. And also get over the top of the fullback as well. He wasn't exactly unmarked, was he? Mm. No, he's not towering either. He's about just over six foot, isn't he? So he's got one hell of a leap on him. But it's also, as we said before in the last episode, it's his positioning that's great. His ability to to lose his marker and get in between defenders. And Colby Bishop, keep doing what you're doing right now. Uh, we love you already. All right, let's move on now to from the Cardiff well, game. We have, one, we have one quick thing, Hugh. The most important bit of every game. So now there's three of us here. We can play Guess the XG again. Yes. Yay. 
Andy's <laughs> was going to say something. He's muted. He's muted himself. Andy's walked off, or he, or he wants to walk off, off anyway. camera. Then Andy, <laughs> Andy's elite of this now. He does stats for a living. So now he understands the complicated and precise algorithm, which is expected goals. He can just literally watch a game and. I don't know if he, he heard us talking about his new method. He's got a notepad. He's sitting at the back of the front end now, just just marking them down. The expected goals. By the did you say complex and precise? By that, do you mean they just pick a number between zero and one hundred out of a hat? Complex and precise is what I said, Andy. You are complex correct. and precise. Yeah, random number selection is a massively complex and precise procedure. I completely agree. Mm. I'm I'm glad you're now tracking XG yourself as well with your notepad in the back of the front end. So I'll be interested to see if your stats line up with Freddie's now. No, that that I wasn't tracking XG, buddy. That was just such a boring second half. I was actually just drawing pictures of volcanoes. I wasn't actually doing any statistics. <laughs> well, <laughs> let's go for that, Freddie Webb. Let's go for it. Guess uh, it. I, I will go for the, the more positive game. Nice easy one to start with. I'm going to go with Pompey's. What is Pompey's total XG from their 3-0 win against Cardiff City on Tuesday? Andy, what is your guess? Well, first of all, I just want to highlight sort of supporting evidence to my point from somewhere that reported Pompey's XG in the first half as 0.01, which I think the chance... What minute was that in? Sorry? What minute was that in? Was that... That was at half time, apparently. That was at half time. What this is my is point, Fred. <laughs> Mate, it's fictional. It doesn't mean anything. This is what I'm saying. It has no meaning. It's completely arbitrary. Anyway, the entire game, the 3 0 win, let's assume first half, that first chance. Well, I would go first half, our XG was 0.25. Second half, 0.25, first half. I think about one point. I will go with two point. Oh, because the penalty actually is quite high, isn't it, for XG? I'll go 2.15, Fred. Hmm. I'm going to go with exactly two. Hugh is the closest by slight. Um, the total XG was 1.69, with basically nice. all three of the goals being the highest levels of XG, the rest of it didn't really register that much so wow, yeah that's that's closer by quite a long way here you're not that far out that's pretty good 0.35 out or whatever it was absolute winner of guess the xg i'm going to chalk that up now boys having that <laughs> also, no, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to track the xg guess the xg for the season and we'll have a winner at the end what a treat for us all love that <laughs> all right guess the xg done bunts one mitchell Warnell. love and life andy looks happy about it are we just forgetting the 14 in a row i won last season Fresh start. I thought you learned how to count over the summer, but obviously not with that 14 now. You know, let's, let's just roll with that. <laughs> All right, let's move on to what other people think because that's more important than me and you talking about who's leading the guess the XG. Which well, you who can count? count. Yeah, it's more great content. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right here at PO Forecast, let us know what you think. <laughs> we put a question out to you guys and we said, Owen Dale and Tom Lowry have been signed. Is Pompey's squad now strong enough to finish in the top six? And thank you for everyone who messes in. Again, we really appreciate it and makes the show. Let's start off with Dan. Dan Warren messages in and he says, we have good strength in depth and flexible enough that we have options of tactics. So yes, our squad is good enough. There are 10 plus teams thinking the same though. If they can gel quickly, then we have a great chance this year. We do have some good strength in depth, don't we? Which we've already talked about a little bit with the players that have introduced earlier on the podcast. But at the same time, Dan is right. We do have different systems which we can play now. We could go to wing backs. We can go to a 4-3-3. 
Do you think it's more likely we move to a 4-3-3 formation when we're playing away from home, Freddie Webb? Or do you think it's a system that can be utilised wherever? I'm just interested to know if you think Danny Cowley would tinker how we play, depending on the opponent or, or away from home. I think it would depend on what sort of opposition we were playing. I think if we were playing against a side that was packing the midfield in numbers, but also having a creative outlet in the middle, I think the option to go for a 4-3-3 or last season, the 3-4-1-2, where the, the number 10 behind those two strikers drop, can drop back. I think that Cowley will use that option because really the style of play is fairly similar. You're just changing where the emphasis is on the pitch, really. You're just counteracting the opposition's best form of attack, really. So, yeah, I, I like the fact that the squad depth now means that you can focus on certain things like for example if you want to really lock it down you can have a midfield three of Pack Thompson and, and then Morel when he comes back as the one creative out, bigger creative outlet so with Pack that has the potential to do both where they can clog the midfield all of them like a tackle all of them can get stuck in properly but they can also move the ball a fair bit or if you want to go a bit more creatively you could have Pack or Lowry or Morel and Lowry or even Jay Mingi on the bench with a bit of drive. There's a, there's so many options in the centre of midfield, especially, and in other areas that I think Cowley will utilise that luxury and maybe make some changes depending on the opposition. I don't think you'd make it wholesale to the style of play or anything, but just a few little tweaks. Tim Footmeshes in and says, I'm excited about where the squad could take us this season. More importantly, we've managed to improve on last year and year. It will take a little time for some of these young players to reach their full potential, e.g. Hurst last season, and fans are quick to boo. Danny needs a little time for his team to gel. Absolutely. We were talking about getting players in and this season being the sort of make or break and bringing players in, the squad's complete. The team looks good on paper. There's no doubt. We've gone out and got players in the right age group and a little splash of you know experience there of being players like Packin and... Andy was talking about people booing at the end of the last game. And Andy, it's quite important that we preach a little bit of patience, isn't it, while this team gels, even if it has been an unbeaten, very positive start so far for the season. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that does land. I mean, Danny Cowley sort of alluded to it in his post-match interview. And we want to have a decent relationship between the player base, the coaching staff and the fan base. And a real shortcut to not having that is for a admittedly small but large enough to be audible section of the frat and end to boo if we don't win a game. We're second game in, there's 44 left. It's two down, 44 to go. Like, okay, yeah, if you lose the first two games, five nil at home or something, then yeah, crack out the boos. But if we if we want to have that sort of gelling of the fans and the, the players, as well as gelling of the players on the pitch, you've got to show a bit of patience, man. It's bonkers to me. I couldn't believe it when when the final whistle went and I heard that. I don't want to sort of, what's the saying, beat a dead horse. Is that the thing where you just repeat it? Is that the thing? Freddie's nodding. Excellent. My my writer flog, friend Freddie is flog nodding. Flog a dead horse. Flog a dead horse. That's it. What's beating a dead horse? Is that something ruder? It's the that's same what, thing. That's what Freddie does at the weekend. <laughs> no prizes to the listener base for guessing what hand gesture Bunce is currently rocking on, on the Zoom call. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I think as Tim said there, Patience is what we need, and there is there is the opportunity there for a young squad to gel throughout the year. And the younger players in the team do look like there's some there's something there. You know, Dane Scarlett, he's looked good. 
when he's played. There's actually something to him. He did more in how many minutes did he get against Lincoln? He did more in that time than he did in than uh, than Tyler Walker did in his entire time at Pompey, as far as I'm concerned. He did so, more in that game than Miguel Aziz did last season as well. Exactly. So, you know, there's definite potential there. There's no reason to get overexcited in a negative way. The same way as we're not just yet claiming we're going to win the league. Like, don't go too high, don't go too low. At least give it a fortnight before we start claiming we're going to win the bloody thing. So, yeah, I agree with Tim. Long story short. Up the Tim, Sandy. Merlin misses in and says, considering Tom Lowry pretty much had no pre-season, all trained with the squad, he was up there with player of the match. Both him and Dale were getting stuck in with sliding tackles and blocks. For me... Both showed reasons to be excited about the future going forward. We touched on, you know, what we thought about Tom Lowry, but again, Freddie, we talked about the age of players that we're bringing in and this sort of new transfer model and that kind of thing. And you look at players like Swanson, Dale, Mitley, Dale's on loan, Lowry. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll come on the rabbit for everyone, but um, Bishop. These are players in the right age and part of their career aren't they where they can really grow with this squad and not just be a, a one season squad that's then dismantled after the end of it yeah we thought the the like the gestures of the transfer for policy was nonsense to start with didn't we when there wasn't many players brought in it was just a few to start with wasn't it it was uh pack rafferty and some others and it seemed like the recruitment was a bit disjointed now and now the majority of the players are in it's quite obvious that they are going for that. They're going for y- younger players who are just below their prime or entering it or in it already, who have been given term, who have years to do, to develop further and are most likely going to improve. Barely them, any of them look like they're going to drop off in ability unless they get a horrific injury or anything. I'm impressed. And just to interrupt the listener question for a second, Freddie, I want to know if you changed your mind on your rather drab ninth position finish and then Andy Mitchell after Freddie I want to know what your prediction is for the season because you've got a little bit of luck here you actually managed to get in when the squad's a little bit more complete but Freddie what is your updated prediction of the squad if I give you a chance or are you sticking with ninth or are you slapping you the ninth position and, and it is what it is you're holding your sticking to your guns uh, I think the ninth place was well obviously I think it was before the Lowry and the Dale transfer it was after Bishop and Piggott from memory. There were still a few holes there. There are still an awful lot of teams in, in League One that I think are really good and are competitive. I think I think there are about 10 teams that all, if you said if you said that they would end up in the playoffs or get promoted, I think that you can make key arguments for all of them. I think ninth seems harsh. I think off the top of my head, if you gave me an updated position, I'd go for seventh. I think we'd need slightly more on the wings, slightly. And that's comparing it to very good opposition. But hey, we could go on a run and get in the playoffs easily. That's That can happen. Annie Mitchell, fire over to you. What is your prediction for the season? Fifth. That's what you're getting out of me. Fifth is the prediction. Like that. Fifth, sixth and seventh. Let's see who's right at the end of the season. Alfie John messages in and he says, strong enough for top four. As long as we keep consistency, which we couldn't do last season, we will be going places. See, that's a bit of positivity there after Freddie's two-minute talk about how other teams are great and how we're going to miss out on the playoffs again. But <laughs> let's hope Alfie John's right, eh? Harry Bond Harry Bom messages in and he says, I think the squad is strong enough for the top six. 
if you really want to be picky, you could potentially do with another two wingers, one on each side and a centre-back just for squad depth. But we know Cowley likes to use a tight-knit squad. Do we think we need two new wingers, boys? Do we need two or just potentially one if we're being picky? I know Danny Cowley said that players have to go out to go in now. So maybe someone like Tunnicliffe moves on, creating a bit of space in the squad? Yeah, you'd be, you wouldn't be surprised to see Tunnicliffe leave. Uh, he's had some good games in the Pompey shirt, to be fair. Um, especially, he sort of saved the season a little bit towards the end of the season, I thought, last year. He had a massive dip off in the middle, um, sort of around the injury. He had the hamstring injury. Exactly, well, around the injury. I think he, he struggled um, just before the injury and just afterwards, sort of got some form back together towards, towards the end of the season. But I do think, in my opinion, in his head, Cowley has moved forward from that. Um, and to be honest with you, Tunnicliffe will always just give me nightmares of a, a Williams Tunnicliffe midfield pairing. So probably for the best for my uh, my sanity that you know he moves on. But I think to answer the question, I think one winger would do the job. You look at the the range we have now on both sides, and there's the potential of the, that Barnett player whose name has completely slipped my mind. If he comes in, I think that would probably be it. I'd yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised if we had more than one incoming and remaining. The squad is pretty much as good as it's going to get. I don't think we're going to really add anything to the squad that we don't already have, with the exception of that one extra winger that I do think we do need. Sean messages in and he says, I think we can. But I think about 10 squads are top six capable. Lowry, for me, was a massive signing. He just oozes creativity from a central area. Probably the place he'd missed it most. I can see us trying to suss out a system that gets three central midfielders in it. Boys, if we go for the three midfielders, do you think we're most likely then to go for a 3-3, which means we only play with one striker? And do you think Danny Cowley wants to fit two of the three in of the sort of the, the Scarlet, Piggott, Bishop sort of like combo up front? I think the partnership's been set already with the three of them. I think Pompey played much better with the two up top, as currently stated. And since we lost Harness, how many players in this squad are we looking at and think can play as an out-out attacking midfielder? Or a playmaker behind the striker. Not many, unless you put Jacobs in the free role and you automatically play Curtis on the left side. So no, I think he will go top top. And if he wants to pack out the midfield a bit more, maybe go for that three, four, one, two, and then play maybe Jacobs in that free role. Or if he wants to lock it down a bit more, maybe maybe a pack and Morel and Lowry in the centre midfield with the wingers with Bishop and Pigger up front or Scarlett and Bishop up front or whoever. So, yeah, I think maybe in certain games where all of the players are expected to go through the midfield and not over it, um, I think he might go for a, a three-man midfield. And it was um, Ephraim Mason-Clark, that Brighton winner, who, who were linked with left-winger, supposedly explosive, a lot of pace. I don't know a lot much more about him. I'd need to I'll look him up when we sign. Or if we sign, excuse me. Probably letting something slip there from the newspaper. He's not allowed to say on the podcast. Is that right, Fred? No, unfortunately not. I barely speak to you. This is a sports desk at all, as you know. <laughs> that sounds like there's a rift there. That's a new story. Freddie Webb falls out with news desk. Neil Allen refuses to comment. Andy Moon says on Express that Fred's a bit of a tosser. That's a new story. Did not put enough mama in a sandwich this week. <laughs> Shameless. <laughs> Tea was a little bit too milky. Dipped it too much, didn't leave it to brew for enough time. Roy Clark messaged in and he says, definitely top 10, maybe even top eight. Well, 
You could do one better and go for Eddie Webb's prediction of seven, Freud. But Ollie Woods matches in and he says, the squad is more than capable of a top six finish. I'd like another backup winger, a young player to develop maybe. I'd also like cover for the left back position, depending on how long Hume is out for. All in all, though, this is the best squad on paper we've had for years. Do you know what's happened to Denver Hume, Andy? Do you know what's gone wrong with him? I quite liked Hume last season. I think he's got a really good delivery on him. Um, but it's going to be it's going to take something to push Ogilvy out from that position at the moment. It would take an injury, wouldn't it? The only thing with Ogilvy is thanks to the change in look, the change in hairstyle. Every time I see him in the peripheral vision, Drew I Talbot. Drew Talbot. That's yeah. all I can see, and I get huge anxiety. Drew Talbot. Da, 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 da. Did you remember that chant when that was going on? Oh, <laughs> if you could sing it, if you could sing it again, I might be able to recognise it. Drew Talbot. I like that. Well, people <laughs> wonder why the atmosphere at the top of the fraten end isn't quite what it used to be, Fred, with uh, with dulcet tones like that coming out from many uh, <laughs> rows behind Westwood. Good grief, Freddie. I loved it, mate. I thought it was it was the silky dulcet tones of Freddie Webb. Carlos Kazmash is in and he says, won't concede too many, but concern is the time it takes for the new final third players to bed in against teams who sit deep. Starting 11, would say, is in and around the top six. There are some very strong 11s, though, probably better than or equal to us. Not sure others have the same quality and depth in areas. Well, we've got some quality depth in the sense of centre midfields. I think people are talking about centre-backs, but if we're a team in League One who's able to loan Haji Minoga out to League Two for the season, which looks more and more on the cards now, doesn't it, with Crew and Gillingham both trying to get him on loan for the season, I think that just shows what sort of good depth we've got, really, when you look at the performance he had, which I didn't mention, against Cardiff, where he looked pretty assured. And you just hope that young players there can come in and play a whole season and get that consistency going, which is what we sort of want for Haji. Um, and then up front, we've got three strikers who most teams in the league, I think, would you know want to have in the squad or, or playing and a lot of teams starting up front for. So I do think it'd be good to bring in another young winger. That's what you want as depth. Maybe someone as a squad player who you, you can bring through at the same time. But all in all, starting 11, I, I definitely think it's top six. What do you reckon, Andy? I think it certainly is top six. I mean, I'm, I would have predicted lower than sixth otherwise in my uh, my season prediction, I imagine. But um, yeah, they. <laughs> you're right, but yeah, I think on paper that's a that's a really good, particularly the starting eleven. Like you look at that sort of um, Bishop, Piggott, Scarlet front line, and then you compare it to the Marquis Harrison front line. It's a little bit more potent, isn't it? And like you know, Bishop and Piggott and Lowry. Those are three players. I'd have thought it was a half-decent transfer window if we got one of them. It would have been an okay transfer window. Two would have been a good. To get those three players on the books is, for me, it's quite a big statement of intent for League One. What I'm saying is, at some point in May, we're going to have an away day at the Kassam in the playoffs, and we're going to get knocked out by a team with three stands. That's essentially what I'm predicting. <laughs> Andy's favourite team, Oxford, battering us in the playoffs. Honestly just ruins my life. I've got my Pompey flag in my front window here in Oxford. Just get stuff thrown through my window if that happens again. I cannot cope. There's people at like who there's some of our sort of um 
client or patient at work who have bought me Oxford United merch and they just know it pisses me off. I've got Oxford United pens, but I've got a bloody Oxford United car freshener. I don't own a fucking car. They just do it to wind me up. It's in my (laughs) top drawer. I've no idea what to do with it all. Can't deal. I hate football. Good you're on a podcast then. I know, right? Yeah, I picked the right picked the right thing to do with my my Wednesday. What day is it? The Wednesday evenings. Yeah, that's right. Pompey Kong messages in and says, "Personally, I'm dying for a cam, but if we don't get one, I'm pretty happy with our squad as things stand." I think we'll sign another winger, hopefully on a permanent, and then use our remaining loan for a centre-back cover. I expect maybe up to three to depart. Only four jacket signings to left are left. Freddie Webb, can you please name the four Kenny Jacket signings that are left in the squad, please? Oof. That's a much better game than Guess the XG. Ooh. Yes, you. Well, I think to distract myself while I think of those players, there's still... Kieran Freeman, who Cowley is actively trying to move on, and Denver Hume is now training after the five months due to the back injury. Cowley expects him to be eligible for selection in a few weeks. So, so the Kenny Jacket players who are left, well, you have Curtis, you have Sean Raggett as well. That's two of them. You have Rico Hackett, who I believe was signed on the Kenny Jacket, but good then, work, Fred, but then just completely left for no reason. Jacket's Wrong. biggest fan. Was it Bromley you went to? <laughs> yes, yes. Loan to Bromley where he, where he said he fell out of love with football. Brilliant. Um, and then the other Kenny Jacket signing who's left, Michael Jacobs. There that's, we go. That's the four Very impressive. Um, just on the, the sort of falling out of love with football thing, I thought it was interesting as well, reading some of, some of Hadji's comments. I don't know if you talked about them on the pod in the episode I didn't listen to while I was away, um, where... He said, you know, a few things where he stopped enjoying football when he was out on loan in the last season or two at lower division teams. I thought it was quite an interesting pattern emerging there with our young players. I think he was struggling a little bit being away from home, actually. I think. Yeah, yeah. That, no, this is what I mean. I mean, just the whole big picture. I'm not saying it was just the club or any manager, but just the whole football experience of a young player going to, in inverted commas, get experience at a lower league club in the first team and against, you know, big 30-something-year-old blokes, you know, trying to out-muscle them. Like, it doesn't look like what you'd previously seen as tried and tested is necessarily the best way forward anymore. Ironically, both of those times that people said as much, uh, they were both on the at Bromley. So maybe there's something in the air there, or it might just be getting used to the the full-on nature of National League football, I suppose, and being away from home at a young age. I used to work in Bromley, and I can confirm it's a rather depressing place. So I'm with you, Hadji. You know, fair enough. Um, talking about that, do you think he's? Would you guys rather he goes on loan to Crew or to Gillingham? I mean, Crew have got the development you think for young players and that sort of system where you think he could thrive. But Gillingham's a lot closer. So this little conversation, I was pumping for him to go to Crew, but at this moment in time, I'm thinking, hey, wait a second, he can actually probably just drive back down from Gillingham, can't he? And that's quite easy. And also, Sean Raggett, he's a big Gillingham fan, isn't he? So uh, maybe he could stay in Raggett's third house, which is in Gillingham. Well, family also meet, up, meet up with Sean Williams as well, who's moved there. <laughs> yeah, why not? That'd be great. Mm. You like you like the brothers. I think it just. I think when there's multiple options on the table, you just give the option to the loan player to the player who is going to go out on loan, just where they think they'd be comfortable. If both sides are offering reasonable minutes, then that's brilliant, isn't it? Or, or the argument is at the moment, you keep Monogris cover and you play him in all the cup games and then loan him out in January, maybe. That could be an option as well. 
I mean, if the, the only actual advantage in going to a National League side is the fact that he would then be eligible to play in cup games for us. So there's that consideration, I suppose, if he ends up going to the National League. But I think he should go League Two, stay there for the season, get some good experience with the dreaded January break clause so that we can bring him back if needs be, if we have some serious injury issues uh, or if he's really not enjoying it. So that would be my my two cents. Moving on, Dave Lauren meshes in. He says, we're going up with the squad, provided Raggett, Pack and Bishop stay fit. Heard it here first, Dave. He, he thinks we're going up, boys. There we go. If we can keep key players fit. Spanky McBiscuit messages in and he says... Um, can we just pause here because that is clearly Fred's alternate <laughs> Twitter account. You're accusing me of having an alternate Twitter account now, Andy. That's After last night's performance... Curtis needs to start on the left. He's been played in a lot of different positions last season to various degrees of success. However, always looks a threat when on the left. If he keeps playing like last night, we don't even need a left winger. We've got Curtis on that side. We've got Jacobs who can play there as well, which I think what is what Spanky McBiscuit's on about. Do we need to go out and get another another left-sided winger? Could you play Rico there if needs be, I suppose? Like... I don't think it's a priority, uh, partially because the Curtis playing up top, I think, is now a thing of the past with the options we have playing up top. Unless and Curtis playing at number 10 is a thing of the past as well. I exactly. Think well, I think we can we can just play him exclusively as a winger. And, you know, there is that left versus right debate or whether you alternate or, or whatever works best for him. But I think there is less pressure to bring in another winger now because... As far as I'm concerned, barring a serious run of injuries or loan recalls, he's not going to be played in any other position. So he's either going to be on on the wing or not playing at all, I would imagine. Yeah, exactly. Chill and Bill meshes in and says, good enough to win the league. Obviously need some luck with injuries and the players to click. That's all we want, isn't it, boys? A chance with this squad to get promoted. That's all we can say at this point in time. Ollie Joel meshes in and says, I think top six for sure. Keep this positivity coming in. Can you see this? Can you feel the fan base of the positivity? It's nice, isn't it, boys? It's nice to have some positivity. Josh Lismeth is in. He says, got a good feeling about this group. It may be early season optimism, but I feel like there's a plan to be competitive at the top end of the table. I don't know what to say about that. Agree, like the positivity. Let's move on. Forgotten Pompey Goldsmith is in. And he says, yes, and maybe better than just a top six side. Isn't that right, Lee Cook? He's tagged in it. And just for the joke, Griffiths, people don't understand that. Lee predicted Pompey to get promoted automatically during the Forgotten Pompey Girls predictions thing that I was on, where I said sick. Lee thinks they're going up. He's put 20 quid on it. So he slapped it on before we signed a couple of these players. And Lee, I took the absolute piss out of you, mate. But you never know, do you? Maybe, maybe I'll be the fool at the end of the season. And if that happens, we'll all be pretty happy if Lee's right, won't we? So... All right, thanks to everybody who meshes in. It's much appreciated. We should move on, really, shouldn't we? Because we need to go and start the Cheltenham Town preview. We spoke to Owen Knight, who's a Cheltenham Cheltenham Town fan. He covers Cheltenham, does some analytics and stuff like that. Recommended to me by Gabe Sutton to talk to us about uh, Cheltenham Town. It's one of those weird ones. I actually look around for Cheltenham Town podcasters. I don't believe there is one. If you're a Cheltenham fan, town fan who's uh, who's tuned into this, what are you doing? Get yourself a microphone, get out there. In fact, I should have asked Owen, why not? Anyway, enough of my babbling. Let's speak to Owen Knight, who covers Cheltenham Town. Hi, Owen. How's it going, mate? You all right? Yeah, not, 
not too bad yourself, UK. Yeah, all right. Let's get let's get crackalacking. We're going to go and talk about Cheltenham Town and the start of the season. So, I mean, it's it was one of those things with Cheltenham, wasn't it? Because I've I've been a big fan of what you've been building under Michael Duff. I think he's a good manager who sort of brings out the best in a unit and the way you play. Obviously, you've had some good players up front as well, um, in Tete, Alfie May, etc., to go alongside a pretty decent centre back pairing, but. It was a lot. Always going to be a quite a difficult rebuild this season, wasn't it? And I mean, I've I thought you'd struggle this season. I had to do my obviously really scientifically involved predictions for the season. But what do Cheltenham Town Town fans think of the summer rebuild so far? Very heavily reliant on loans, uh, which naturally we are as that we're that type of club, which are we try and build relationships with the clubs around us. The permanent transfers we've made been quite disappointing because I think Dan Adsev is a really good signing uh, from Norwich, uh, definitely one for the future, which we're definitely looking to build from that. But with our, our defence last season, it was we shipped a lot of goals in and the only permanent addition we've made in that in that back three is Tom Bradbury from Halifax uh, taking a punt on a player who hasn't played at this level before and I'm at a very dejected moment any three games into the season because we just come off the back of a 7-0 loss to Exeter in the cup. But that's kind of where we're at at the minute. It's open two league games, not too bad, but actually coming into this oh, off the back of that cup match, looking very worrying. Cheltenham have always been a team that seemed to concede quite a few and score quite a few last season. I mean, you had what a 5 all draw, a 5-0 win, a 5-0 defeat. I remember going through it. Well, I think you conceded 80 or something in the yes, yeah. season, which is uh, quite a lot for a team that didn't get relegated or wasn't even really in any danger of getting relegated. Is what happened last night, I'm assuming with a lot of squad rotation in there, is what happened in the cup indicative of that or was it just a blip? And how would you expect the team to line up against Pompey to try and avoid a, a repeat of what was clearly a little bit of a car crash? Uh, yeah, I think... You know, we tested out some newer players uh, yesterday. We made eight changes in total, but they just clearly haven't done themselves any favours without showing. You know, that back three definitely won't be starting on Saturday. And we've got some other players kind of to come in, which, you know, makes it make, makes you feel a lot more confident uh, kind of going into Saturday. But it, it is. It's, don't get me wrong, it's very entertaining football. And hopefully, with it being a cup tie last night, it was just a blip. Um, and, and the back five, which we'll have on Saturday, will hopefully be more solid. Uh, I think opening game of the season, we, we started 2-0 up against Peterborough in the first half. Looked really, really strong. Looked confident in the back. And then, I mean, they made some really good changes at halftime, don't get me wrong, but we, it, it was kind of a car crash after that as well, considering three goals. So a, a more assured defence last Saturday against Barnsley away, which was more promising to see. But obviously, the fan base is very... It's very low at the minute, I think, after after yes, last night's performance, which is acceptable. So. I saw you lost Will Boyle as well, who's a player that I actually really rated, and he's gone off to Huddersfield, hasn't he? Yeah. Is that a massive gap in the centre of your defence there, losing Boyle? And have you got someone who's replaced him who could be as good? I think with Boyle, Boyle was a leader, naturally, and he would come at us when we were in League 2, very low in League 2, and he's developed as a really good player. Um, he had his fair share of injuries, but he was somebody you could rely on. And that whole kind of back five, which we took from League Two, Ben Tozer, who went to Repton last season, was also a big miss. 
and it kind of it just started starting to get picked apart and Boyle Boyle made his step up as he probably deserved. Um we thought going into the season that replacement for him would be Tom Bradbury. Um but the opening two games of the season he wasn't even in the squad and we had promoted Lewis Freestone who uh, another player we brought in from Brighton in the academy, but we were really surprised to see him start the season. But he's actually been probably the stronger player out of our back three, which was a real shock because he struggles a lot with his positioning. But yeah, we're in a very uh, hard predicament at the minute. We've also brought in Khaled Taylor from West Brom. Uh, he's the under 18 captain, comes highly regarded, and he's made a really good start so far. So fingers crossed. What have you thought of um, Wade Elliott so far? Obviously, bringing in. Somebody, someone to manage a team who hasn't been a permanent manager before. He's been assistant and caretaker at certain times. What, what have you made of him tactically or, and motivationally for the players from what you've seen? Um, how he comes across in interviews, he's very like calmly, softly spoken, like, he, and he's a very articulate person. But actually, apparently, he was the one in the dressing room last season who would go, you know, kind of give kind of a hairdryer treatment. In the, in, in the change room as opposed to Duff. It was completely the right appointment to make at the time. I think I mentioned yesterday that the pool of managers we had to pick from on, in the postseason was very poor. And we were looking at a manager who could continue the work which Duff had already done, sticking with that philosophy, that 3 5 2, trying to play out from the back. The issue is, I think we don't have a plan B and kind of we have one good half. And as soon as we start kind of looking a little bit shaky, that's when we kind of don't react. So Tapfit is kind of worrying. He's very quiet on the touchline, um, which it's, it's going to be difficult. He's going to, it's going to be a real steep learning curve for him. Um, we've got some real big games coming up. We've got extra again in the league next week. And we've also got Fleetwood and we're in August already and we're looking at those as must wins. And if we're not getting results there, then Unfortunately, I think if it turns sour really quickly, which I think is a shame because he's obviously up and coming manager, but you need kind of a short head there to, uh, to bring that positivity, bring that motivation and bring those other ideas. So Pompey started the season with a 3-3 draw at Shepherd Wednesday, drew on Saturday 0-0 against Lincoln, and then went out and just beat Cardiff in the Cup 3-0 away. Lincoln came to us and sort of played... Well, they played 4-3-3, but the two wide forwards often dropped in to make it a, a five in midfield. And they pressed us, but then sort of dropped back as a unit as well. And it caused Ports of some problems trying to get the ball out um, and play like we'd like to and get the ball up uh, efficiently into dangerous areas. How do you think Cheltenham are going to play in that way? Are they, going, are they going to come to Portsmouth and set up a bit more defensively like like Lincoln did to try and to try and get a draw? Or is that not really in your style of play and you're just going to play how you play and then see if you can... Uh, catch Pompey on the counter a bit more with a bit of pace and score some goals. I think one thing you can find about Chantham in the last few years is they absolutely relish big clubs coming and playing us at home. Uh, you know, we've had some really good results in past season. I know obviously you beat ourselves towards the end of last season, but, um, you know, we've really enjoyed the likes of Sunderland coming to us at Ipswich, uh, and we've got really good draws results out of them. And we kind of have that as motivation. We love being the underdog in those games and it's trying to catch a surprise on the teams coming to us. There's that worry slightly now that, you know, we've been in this league one season. Uh, teams and the oppositions are coming up against, can expect, they know what to expect when they come up against us. So I think we'll, we will try to play on the front foot naturally. We will try and play out from the back. 
We're going to be getting out to the wing backs. We, we're going to relish and hopefully use Tuesday night as motivation to put on a real good performance against a bigger team. And, you know, fingers crossed. We'll see how it goes. But it, obviously, I think you boys coming off of the back of a really good win against Cardiff, you know, got get some good goals through there. So it's, it's kind of how we react to that. I wonder if Pompey being away from home will actually be better boys in some ways. Like we were pretty rubbish away from home compared to at home last season. And and this, you know, so far we've had two really good away results. You know, the draw against Sheffield Wednesday was it was a good result. And then to beat Cardiff, um, I think maybe if, if a team was coming to us at Fratton Park and going to sit a bit deeper, we'd have the same predicament we had against Lincoln potentially. But in this, we might have a situation where we always struggle against you anyway, let's be honest. And like last season, we we looked rubbish and I think our our fans made themselves quite heard about how the players played away from home. I don't know if you heard that at all. The Pompey fans weren't too happy if you were at the game there. Um, you know, I don't remember it that well because I think we were just at the towards the end of the season and we, and we were very much, we, I think a lot of our players seemed to be on the beach at that point. We're like, yeah, we're up. We're going to probably finish as high as we possibly can. That's even more a piss take then, isn't it? Well, yeah, probably is to be fair. It's we'll we'll see we'll see what we're like. I, it's going to be a real unknown, I think, Saturday. And obviously, you'll you'll travel well. You'll see, kind of, and your fans will get on the back early on. If if we can play the way we can play, we know we really frustrate away fans. We really kind of uh, frustrate the opposition, and we kind of relish those teams get those fans getting on the back of their their teams. So we know we're doing something, but. Yeah, I, it's always a good game with Pompey. So, fingers crossed, we can just get our season off to a start. Uh, do you, uh, you probably haven't bothered, but did you ever look at any of the players Ports have brought in? Did you think about um, our team and how we'd line up at all? We were, a lot of fans wanted Josh Griffiths back because obviously we'd had him on loan in uh, League Two. We thought it was probably a bit far-fetched trying to get him back. So, and he, he kind of took, made the step up to League One with Lincoln last season and, you know, probably is going to be pushing for a team in the playoffs this season. Uh, I don't know, you were linked with Keanu Tete earlier on in the season, but obviously Dane Scarlett looks a, like a really good sign. And Marlon Pack, we were absolutely gutted. You know, that faint little bit of hope that he might come back to us was absolutely crushed instantly. Um, we, offered him, we offered him a couple of season tickets. That's what did it for us. <laughs> for his family. Yeah. Yeah. He's an it. absolute, he's, he's a hero for Cheltenham, actually. He's one of our, you know, one of our best seasons in League Two. Probably, you know, probably in one of the best Chelten Town 11s, which never went up from League Two. Should have went up automatically in uh, 2012, but unfortunately wasn't to be. All right, let's get to the, the meaty, saucy bit of the show. And I'm going to ask you, Owen, what your score prediction is for the game on Saturday and some goal scorers, please, mate. Okay, I'm hoping of a, a kind of a, a response. I think a, a win would be asking a lot, but, you know, get keep getting those points on the board. I think uh, I'll go for a one-all draw. I think Alfie May's bound to score because he's just, he's on fire at the moment. He's started well. And well, it's probably going to be inevitable. Marlon Pack's going to score against us. <laughs> he's back, Marlon Pack. I yeah. like it. I like it. Owen, tell people they can find you online. Just Owen underscore night on Twitter. Sweet. Nice one. Well, good luck for the rest of the season, you except too. against us. Hope it goes well and I hope you don't struggle against Exeter. And we'll speak soon. Thank you very much. Cheers, boys. Thanks, Cheers, Owen. Cheers. Thanks, Owen, for coming on the podcast. It's interesting, isn't it? Because Cheltenham Town are a team who I predicted to go down, disclosure, in the in the four teams to be relegated. Was a big fan of what they were building. Lose their manager to Barnsley. That's embarrassing enough, no. Lose the manager to Barnsley. It looks like things could fall apart. And then they lose 7-0 to Exeter, even with quite a lot of changes. 
Boys, how are we feeling about the confidence going to a team who historically we've struggled against going away to, haven't we? Well, last season we struggled to um, to break them down, really. Pretty easy to say, but I think probably have to get a result in this game. Um, Cheltenham are a team in flux, lost a lot of good players. They try to continue the continuity of what, bringing in Wade Elliott, who's the assistant manager, but still the same weaknesses that that side had last season to, defensively are still there. And their best defender is gone and they haven't really replaced him by the sounds of it and Pompey are on the up in terms of getting chances from crosses while also making the most of the quality of chances they're getting which is obviously a bonus so yeah even though it's away from home and there's a historical struggles against that side I just think that I'm just very positive about this group after that League Cup game that I think they can kick on and uh, get a decent win out of it I don't think it's going to be goals galore. I'd imagine after what happened to Cheltenham the other night, they're going to be lining up at home in a way that should prevent them from conceding, yeah, seven in this case. Uh, I think it is a game that I would genuinely expect Pompey to win, even without blue-tinted glasses on, because I think Cheltenham are at their weakest. I'm tempting fate a treat here. I think Cheltenham are at the weakest they've been for the last couple of seasons, the sort of their League Two promotion year and then League One last year. I think they've lost some big names, including the manager. And I I think they're there for the taking more than normal. I think they were always going to offer us a tough game last year. I think we've strengthened since last year and I think they've weakened since last year. Uh, Freddie, also, thank you very much for putting block party flux in my head by saying the word state of flux. That's going to be in my head for the evening. So thank you much for that. Um, yeah, Hugh, I, I think it's a it's got to be a Pompey win. It has to be what they're aiming for. I'd be well, obviously it's what they're aiming for, but I think it has to be the outcome. Looking at the sides on paper, at least. All right, let's let's kick off with our predictions then. Freddie Webb, what is your prediction for the game of Saturday against Cheltenham? I'm going to go with a two-one Pompey win. I think Alfie May will get the goal for Cheltenham. He's looked lively in his first couple of games. But for Pompey, I'm going to go with Ronan Curtis because he started his he started his role now, getting that goal and assist against Carl. If he's going to continue that, if he plays, and I'm going to go with Colby Bishop for the second one. Andy Mitchell, I will go with a three-one Pompey win with Curtis Scarlett and Bishop scoring and two Piggott assists. What a talisman! I'm going to go with a two-nil Pompey win, Bishop and. Go on, let's give one of Ronan again. Let's see if he can keep his little form going when he's when he's on a roll. He's on a roll. I do want to just highlight a very proud moment I had this week when Freddie, you appeared in angry people in local newspapers. <laughs> when it made me incredibly happy to see some of your work in there. If I'm honest, um, yeah, I'm that, prouder that, of that than anything else I've seen you do. To be honest yeah. with you, any of your any of your Asda stories, this just paled them into comparison. <laughs> I was dead chuffed. But moving on to some other stuff quickly before we wrap this up, uh, I just want to say thanks to Luke who donated some money for buy me a coffee that was much appreciated uh, and also richard who also did the same and boys we really appreciate it too so I want to say shout out to you both thank you we are ever grateful thanks James. Um, yeah and before we wrap up i just want to say welcome back andy it's nice to have you here and glad you survived the rainforest so thanks any- mate no it was interesting like the first bit of my trip out there on this occasion, we had a year's worth of rain in three days and you bastards were here in 40 degrees centigrade and I was, you know, swimming my way, getting texts about evacuating to higher ground. It was a bit of a 
bit of a difference in uh, in life experiences we were having at that point. But yeah, thanks, bud. It's been nice to come back, pick up food poisoning, throw up for three days, and uh, it's just been it's just been wonderful to be back. I'm honestly thrilled. Still made it to the ground, and I wasn't sure it's food poisoning, so I wouldn't shake a glass of water. No offense, but <laughs> until next time, Clout Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!